Welcome to the RPG Design Friends Podcast. I'm your host, Riley, and I use he, they pronouns. I'm a tabletop game designer and an actual play podcaster. In this podcast, we're going to critically talk about tabletop role-playing games, their mechanics, and the scene that surrounds them. Today, I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Cass. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a game designer and frequent cat picture retweeter. And uh, I am DC. I am a freelance game designer, as well as a community manager, and they do not retweet cats or not. Hi, and welcome, listener out there in the void. Um, to the, this is RPG Design Friends, and today we're going to be talking about talking about pricing in tabletop games, and specifically how we price our games and transparency on Kickstarters and such. And so I want to ask the question, when y'all price your games, how do you go about it? What's your, what is your criteria for, all right, I put in this much work and so I want to price it. That's a slightly complicated question. Yeah. (laughs) They always are. Personally, I usually go and I look at, well, what I think is fair based off of the people who I think are pricing correctly, who feel comfortable where they're pricing. Mm-hmm. So many people I know, people who are even way more experienced and more talented than me, still underprice themselves by a huge margin. And a few of them, though, I see stick to a sort of model. And mm-hmm. I think that that model sort of trickles down from the price of, like, a Dungeons & Dragons book. Uh, Those are about $35, $40, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And for a fully complete professional book, uh, if you're looking at Blades in the Dark, for example, Blades in the Dark is, like, 30 bucks. Last time that I checked. I think that sounds right. Yeah. Um, Removing... The physical aspect of the book and removing the length and quality, because those kind of smush together. <laughs> sometimes yes, sometimes no. But I got to when me myself having a complete game and having all of the art and paying all of the people, I was like, twenty dollars is fine. Ten dollars down from a book that is extremely valuable in the amount of time and fun that a person can potentially have Mm -hmm. and how much do I value myself in comparison to, let's say if I had a book, would I want my book to be as valuable to me as John Harper sees his book being valuable to him. And uh, taking that position has sort of set me into a new kind of pricing structure. Hell yeah. I've seen your tweet threads on pay what you want and how moving away from that is a good thing because it helps us set a baseline for our work, which is exciting and good for being able to be get paid. <laughs> yeah. Actually. I'm a huge proponent of having a baseline, uh, largely because <clears throat> it's not communicated extremely well that we are in a luxury industry. And I know that, that is something that is sort of fought against in the culture because of how you'd think that in a luxury industry, if you look at another luxury industry like luxury cars, or if you uh, can pay for the super nice movie pass, or if you get a deluxe edition of 
a video game, all those sorts of things, you can trace it back to people making appropriate amounts of money, or at least living wages, to put it that way. <laughs> and in the indie sector, that's not even close to true. Most of the greatest designers are poor. And so there's this sort of combative feeling of, well, if we're poor, and a lot of the people who are buying our products are poor, then us raising the prices then harms the community. Um, which is logical. Mm -hmm. um, but with the tools that we have available to us, we can both face that particular problem and start taking in these funds that people who are not the direct fans who are talking to us, who are, you know, expressing that they have these financial concerns in their lives. Um, we're taking in all of the luxury funds from people who aren't in those situations as well. And then we can take that and redistribute it within our community so that we actually deal with those problems. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why pay what you want to me is still pulling down the value that, that me and a lot of other people are trying to establish down to we're still not sure if this is valuable enough or if this is fair to people. It, it feels like a very on-the-fence sort of mechanism. And uh, I understand why people are there. What do you think, Cass? Yeah, I think when I'm looking at how to price my games, one of the first questions I'm thinking is, what do I want to communicate with this price? And what do I want this product to do? And so I have several things over on itch.io, and each one is kind of doing something different. And so I want the price to reflect that. So for example, I made a game that is, it's a full release game now, but it's still going through a little bit of playtesting, but it's, it's a full game. It's, you know, 200 pages, a world, playbooks, original rules. And so when I was pricing that, I wanted to say, like, this is a standalone valuable product. And I think a lot of that ties into what DC was saying. Um, and so I looked at the models I've seen a lot of times, especially in the Forged in the Dark, sort of product lines is when it's completely done, you do $20. And in the meantime, when you're still maybe fine tuning a little, you look at 10 to 15. And that seems to be the standard for people who are sort of thinking about their games professionally. So I wanted to, when I priced that product to clearly state that, and that would contrast with, I made a game for a game jam. And originally it was my first one I ever released. It was just pay what you want because it was just kind of a small single session game, but it was actually the community feedback of people saying like, no, I really like this. This is really good. Seeing them play it that I wanted to not have it be just pay what you want. I think for a couple reasons, I think that even though it started as a game jam, it was a finished game. And so as I started realizing that and seeing how well it, it played, I wanted my price to communicate like, this isn't a throwaway product. This isn't something really small and quick. It is a game. It is valuable. Um, and so I set a price for that. Um, and then, for example, just to go on the other side, because I think this is part of the culture in game design. Um, just today, I re released a product, and it's completely free because it's completely like alpha state testing. And so I want that also to be reflected to say, like, no, if you get this, it's a game, it's interesting, but it's not the same as a complete finished game. And so the price is sort of communicating that as well. 
I can talk about pay what you want more generally. I think it's a big topic, so I don't want to just keep going forever if you have something specific. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. Y'all have both brought up the kind of idea of pricing as a statement of like this is how much you can expect from this game like as far as the the amount that you can get out of it you y'all both mentioned that and what's interesting is that some people come at that idea but from the angle of well if it it has this many pages then it needs to be priced this much which is counterintuitive is a weird take that people have Mm -hmm. yeah Yep. It angers I, me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got I got it for my first time last night when, when somebody messaged me. It was like, hey, did you mean to put this nine dollar game this nine page game up? And I was like, e- yep. They're like, oh, well. I'm like, all right, dude. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like Yeah, I think one thing I want indie games to hopefully do is look at the self-publishing market in terms of novels, because I think they've struggled through a lot of these problems. And they're a really good example of why it's wrong to pay by page. Um, you know, if you look at Amazon and you look at a lot of the really successful novels, people have just padded pages with empty content. And then that works in the short term, but then people get really mad. Um, so I think like indie games are still new. And I'm hoping as both designers and purchasers, like consumers, are getting more educated, like, you can have a lot of really bad pages. And it's funny because I meet so many people who say, oh, if a game's over 100 pages, I'm not going to play it because I don't have the time. <laughs> so, yeah, for those people, like, what's the middle ground there? <laughs> like, <laughs> they're like a, page, a book can be no longer than 60, but no shorter than 40 pages. It's really interesting because uh, speaking with some publishers... Uh, they're like, oh, people want to buy the 300-page book. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because that doesn't take away from the fact that people want to play, like, a 40-page book. Yes. But they want to own a 300-page book. <laughs> yep. It's Blades in the Dark is actually, like, maybe 10 pages long. Um, Wild. When it comes to what you need to play the game, mm-hmm. um, even with the like beginning setting and everything, but mm-hmm. it's like a two hundred something page book. Yeah, like, and with with when you come with pages, like it comes with both. Like, there's the question of space because, like, as someone living in a small space, like I don't have space for three hundred page books. Not many of them, and like I've never had a good time navigating a PDF that's longer than like. 20 pages Mm -hmm. so like there's a big usability problem that i think comes with page size and i don't know how other people get over that you know what i mean i think i hear a lot of and this ties into what dc was saying about the luxury market i um hear from a ton of people that they like owning these books because they're pretty uh, but they don't play them it's kind of like the gaming version of having um a national geographic book on like your coffee table it's the like this is really pretty i like looking at it i'm not using it and so that's also like there's these different markets you can aim at are the people who want the pretty books and then the people who want books they can just pick up and play with their friends easily Mm -hmm. and there there are games that i think do that like are both pretty and are both like 
not incredibly long. Like I think dialect is a really good example of like a book that looks gorgeous and isn't like, doesn't take up every amount of space that I own. I just have a deck and a, like a, a really small book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- that wasn't priced bad. Like that was priced really well. And I enjoyed like everything I got for the price of that game. It's there's so many positions in that level of the market. And so many uh there are experts out there you know who are like hey if you make it this many pages this is what we're gonna have it look like and this is what kind of paper we're gonna have and these are the kind of illustrations you can work with that's with particular kinds of inking and all that sort of thing you know Mm -hmm. far beyond uh my experience other than what i've been told by publishers and people who have published books on that level and so having a easy pick up and go game can be a way of lowering the barrier of intimidation because you drop a 300 page book on someone's (laughs) table and say we're playing this game they think that if they have no experience you have to read all 300 pages whereas if you go here's a quiet year and it's a deck in this little nice looking book with a little cottage on the front Mm -hmm. like oh it was interesting it's a little pamphlet like sure i can check it out so um at least at that level there is a lot of um and I think there's a reflection in the indie space as well. But when I came out with a one-page game, a lot of people jumped on that. Also, it was one player, but uh, because it's so easy to consume. Mm-hmm. It's, it's boom, here's one page. And I see a lot of other people who are making micro games and, and smaller games just get mm-hmm. a lot of traction. Because people can go, oh, this is just a, a thing I can pick up, check out. I can get really into it or not, but it's so small and it's so digestible that it fits into like my schedule and my space. Mm-hmm. That part of small games and the micro game scene is really exciting to me because also so many of them can be thought experiments and the way that visual artists who do drawings or paintings, they do sketches all the time. And the idea of like just sketching out the idea of like, here's a move or here's a quick game is so exciting. And I feel like there's, not a lot of people who then like post their sketches and I'm seeing more of that now sketches of games and just like, here's an idea I had. And that's really cool to see, especially when they put it out there and it's like, it's a like two bucks, two, three bucks for like this collection of ideas of RPG ideas. And that's exciting to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think one of the other things when we're thinking about like pricing and all that is uh, for a lot of people time is a commodity and so having these games that they can play quickly they can understand quickly like there's a lot of value in that and i think it's cool to see indie games starting to tap into that space um so y'all both earlier vocalized the kind of concept of poor developers pricing out poor players and pay what you want being the idea that would be like ah i can help the, like the people who want to play my game but don't have the means i can help them be able to play the game when in reality what happens is the people who have the means to buy the game go ooh, free game and the people who don't have the means to buy the game go i'm going to do everything i can to make sure i can support the developer so what are y'all's i i know uh cass you you held you held back earlier with pay what you want takes <laughs> and so what what are what are your thoughts on that so i think that it's a complicated issue, um, and I'll start with, um, it, so pricing in general is going to have an effect on the platform you're using and what people's expectations are when they come to it. 
And so what I mean by that is when people go to like drive through RPG, they're generally thinking either I'm going to search all the free games and just download stuff, or I'm expecting to spend money because that's really drive through RPG is, um, it's set prices and I'm not aware of any real tip system there. So it's, this is what it is. I'm going to pay it. And so I think with itch.io where some of the tension comes is, if people's thought is this is the place I come where I can get really cheap games for $1, even if they're full games, or I'm thinking of it as the pay what you want site, that can, that will shape the expectations of people who are coming. And even people who might pay full price on drive through on itch are going to be like, no, I'm coming here to pay a reduced rate. Um, so I know DC's talked some about sort of the responsibility we have as designers when we're pricing and how what we do affects other designers. And I think that is an important part of the conversation is that pay what you want intrinsically isn't a bad thing, and I think it can be very useful. But if it's the culture of an entire site, that starts affecting every designer who's using that site. Mm -hmm. DC, I don't know if you want to expand. You've said some things on that before. Yeah, I got a, I got a lot of words. Um, <laughs> you're totally in, in the same direction um, that I feel. Um, <clears throat> especially in that there's this position where uh, the culture is, is meant to stay around because of... Uh, you made a really good point earlier where you were like, people who can get these games for free try really hard to give some sort of value back to the designer. Uh, and a lot of the time I see people who, even when I'm offering free games or when other people are offering free games, they're like, oh, well, I really want one, but like, I'll totally buy one later. I get paid on this date. And like, it's like, it's, it's free. Like there's, n that means there's no responsibility to you <laughs> to do anything. Um, and like you said, the people who are just like, oh, this is free. Cool. Like, and they have the money to spend on other things. Um, there's this position where uh, people who want pay you what you want to uh, function as a way to keep things accessible haven't clashed yet with the available technologies that are out there that solve these problems. Itch.io is my greatest example. Um, uh, full disclosure, I am not paid by itch.io. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> This is really just my opinion. Um, just a fan of their work. <laughs> I really am. Uh, there's a system that they have there where pay what you want is can have a uh, recommended price. And so you click the button and say download the game and it says you can buy this game for $5 or, you know, the minimum price is like zero. So... A person can choose at that moment, but the game is, or, or the itch.io is saying to you, this game is worth $5, but you can get it for less if you want to, which opens up a door there to where when you walk into a store and let's say you're looking for binders mm -hmm. back to school and you go into the <laughs> binder section and you see that there are a bunch of binders for $1.99. And then you go a little bit farther down and there are binders that are 
like, oh, well, I can get a bunch of the little binders, or I could have, like, a really sturdy binder. Like, just because of the price, people are like, oh, well, they're charging more, likely because it has more quality. Uh, and there's a middle space where you can range where that is about quality, and then there's a place where there's overpricing. We stay far below and put pay what you want, like... <laughs> way way at the bottom instead of having a 199 binder we're just like these are just binders that we put in a box and you can drop a dollar in this box if you want to but they're just binders of all sorts and varieties <laughs> so you're not actually helping even sort right. where your game is in the idea of a marketplace if you say this game is worth $20 but you can have it for free then people know that it's like, oh, well, this is of great value and this is a favor that's being done to me for the reasons that they may provide or it's just there. Um, so being able to take those people who really want to establish uh, financially accessible ways to have games accessible, uh, I think that if you're making more money and you're using better platforms, that giving away free games is a much more possible thing to do when you don't have to depend on every single sale sale coming through um when you're on a website where you get more tips where you have people who want to support you who do have the funds to do so throwing money at you and using other tools outside of even just the platform to facilitate ways to give out free copies as becoming really popular on social media mm -hmm. and i think something that's important about the example you just gave is sometimes people will say like the minimum zero and my suggested price is $1. And it's really a game that probably we would say maybe the suggested price should be $10 for the value. And so I think that it's a cool system if people really lean into it being like, this is the suggested price. Um, because if they're, underpricing themselves even on the suggestion then it goes back to that saying something about the quality or making people feel confused i know i've talked to a lot of people who are not designers they just buy games and they're like i feel like i either i'm either going to pay the suggested price or i'm going to get it for free because the tension of picking something else is just uncomfortable um, and so having like a accurate, like good suggested price, I think is a key part of it. Mm -hmm. Something that's been like interesting in my experience with pay what you want and, uh, and pricing games is I've had like two hacks of games up on my website for a while for pay what you want. And every once in a while I'll get like, Oh, here's a dollar. Here's two. And that's nice. But I put up a game that I was like, this is $10 and immediately like I have, people buying it yeah. mm -hmm. and so it's it's as soon as you put a label your product is still good people will pay it and so i think yeah what y'all saying are saying about suggested price just makes more sense to actually have like a good suggested price and then have other ways for the pay what you have the pay what you want under that um i think it was dc who mentioned something about overpricing so i want to broach the subject of what do y'all think about I'm like luxury RPGs, the ones that are we talk about D and D being a thirty through fifty dollar book, the ones that are above that 
what are thoughts on that as a um and what that means for the kind of community yeah does that yeah it's hard to not say names when there's only one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there's the one <laughs> i mean <laughs> there's the one with my redacted with my yeah right, right. <laughs> 99 through 600 dollar games <laughs> I think, like, I have two thoughts immediately. One is, if people are saying their product has this much value, then they should be able to price it at that. And I think about, like, the tabletop RPG world where, or not RPG, just tabletop gaming world, where I know people who are like, yes, I'm buying that $150 legacy game because it's the only thing I'm playing all year and I can afford it. And I'm never like, wow, that, that board game is really overcharged. Like, it's a luxury thing. I think the flip side is that as a community, we need to acknowledge there's a lot of disparity in who has access to make those kind of goods, who has access to becoming, working with those publishers, who has access to those communities. So I don't think on my side, having high priced products is a problem. I think it's if we say that there is no inequality in the system at work that's sort of supporting that versus other people making the same products. Absolute fire. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that I have to add on to that is that people shouldn't make other people feel bad for what they spend their money on. A lot of it comes from jealousy and that's not like a, wow, y'all are so jealous, like a bad thing. Like, Financial jealousy is just a thing. I'm mm-hmm. poor. I have it. Like, when I see someone who has a house <laughs> and a car, I'm like, oh, I wish I had a house and a car. Like, that's jealousy, but it's not vile jealousy, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, we generally are just like, wow, oh, I really wish I could afford this $250 thing that has all these gadgets and, and woodly dudes, right? Mm-hmm. But that's okay. And for that person who has that opportunity to get it, that's okay too. So on that aspect, it's like everyone, well, your feelings are valid and choices are valid. Uh, And that that's some of the feeling that I get from those spaces. And on the other side, this is also coming into the space of, are we attributing in those spaces uh, the same ideas that we are in our own? Because if in the indie space, my complete game is $20 if it's not, uh, it's not in book form, and my book form is 30 or 35 and an entire company that's coming out with a lot of content with what you're getting ends up paying out their freelancers some of the highest rates out there and giving their workers living wages and benefits. Mm-hmm that's a discussion to be had, you know? Um, I, I, whenever, after hearing about all that was going on, I knew someone who worked for that company and I found out about freelance rates from a friend and another person who had been, who had had the game physically uh, and a lot of other people as well spoke to the quality of the things that they got. And so I was like, hey, is there a disparity here? Is there, is there someone being uh, misused or is there some some place where this feels largely unfair in that sector? And I couldn't find anything. So mm-hmm. uh, 
it's important to see what our ideals look like on the top shelf on the top shelf while we work our way up um but i definitely have to reiterate what Cass said is who gets the opportunities who gets to be there mm -hmm. that's a whole other bag mm -hmm. yeah hey it's riley here editing from the future right here we start talking about an actual play podcast that is being adapted to a cinematic take we don't name it but i just wanted to give you the full context of what's going on 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 private twitter there's there's a lot of frustration about seeing thousands of dollars maybe more zeros go towards a, an exclusive like an exclusively white cast of people in a kickstarter and it, there's a lot of kind of a burnout isn't the right word, but it's almost that same thing of, well, why, why am I doing, why am I doing anything if they can do that? Yeah. How do you combat against that kind of, <laughs> that draining feeling of like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? <laughs> uh, it's funny. I was about to ask if we're allowed to swear, but you just answered my question. Um, yeah. I, I feel like part of, so I don't know like a good way to say this. I think shit is really unfair in our world. Um, and I think that one thing I've been thinking about a lot with this and with U.S. politics, um, as someone who's Native American, like, we've been fighting against this unfair shit for literally centuries, and we have those stories in my family, and so I think some of it comes down to that, how do we not burn out? How do we take care of each other? How do we keep trying while kind of holding that tension of shit's really unfair and we need to keep trying, but it's not going to become more fair without a lot of work and community. Um, yeah, I don't have a better answer than that. That's valid. It's it's not an easy question to answer. Mm -hmm. It's it's go, it's going. Can you solve my depression? <laughs> that just okay. ain't gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> Cass, I totally. I totally gave you the uh, indigenous to black people dap when you were <laughs> yeah. saying that. I was like, you and us. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it is kind of like a cultural skill. And one of the parts that I put out there when all the talk was going on is like, yes, this sucks. Like, people want to be seen when it hurts. Like, they want to be able to say that it hurts. and everyone was worried about getting jumped on for having feelings that mm -hmm. are super valid. Like John Harper was, was right. And he re he replied to one of my threads and said, like, this isn't even tabletop. That's a, that's a movie. That's like film. And like, it's a completely different thing. It's just rooted. Yeah. yeah. Like it's rooted in where we come from. That's like, that's like down the road, a path that we might be able to have, which is why there's that connection. Mm -hmm. But when we see people shooting past our wildest dreams, um, of course that's going to hurt. Being able to say that out loud is important. Yeah. And being able to look amongst everyone around us and then after sharing that hurt go, that really has nothing to do with us. <laughs> that doesn't change anything of what we're doing here. Um, at the greatest point of it all, it can bring some good, mm -hmm. even though it hurts to see. 
Um, I hadn't even considered that that's a movie and it's not tabletop. It's just rooted in it. Like it feels so directly like, ah, yes, it's tabletop, but it, you're right. It it just straight up isn't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not. (laughs) And that's, that was part of my own self therapy is I was like, how much do cartoon shows cost to make? Because I don't Mm -hmm. know. I'm not in that world. And when I was like, oh, a million dollars an episode is normal for like a 20 minute, 30 minute cartoon. That, like, I was like, oh, okay. So not in my world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Not a ballpark I will ever make it to. No. Honestly, this this brings it back to me about pricing in general. Mm-hmm. Because it's that perspective flip that is what's so important for us on so many different levels. And establishing cultures in a f- sort of marketplace when it comes to the arts is such a dangerous thing to do. Like you have to put so much care and attention and love into it because like Cass said, oh man, this tabletop thing made $4 million, $5 million and it's going and it's going. That hurts. But when it's, wait a second, this is, this is an animated film. The average for them, they're actually under what most things cost because they probably, you know, they have studios and stuff. They're cutting some costs mm-hmm. in some places. They're not making a ton of money, technically. Um, they're making an appropriate amount of money, and it's very fortunate for them. Um, when it comes to, in that same sphere, people who are on drive through RPG right now who are selling their game for $1 or pay what you want, seeing other people go to Itch.io, and sell their game for $10 and seeing them celebrate about how their game is making money and how people actually care. Mm-hmm. It's not to the same degree, but it's pretty much the same thing. It's, there are people like, oh, well, nobody cares about my games. I'm never going to make it X, Y, Z. But that's because you're sitting in a different place. Mm-hmm. Like You're not playing on the same playing field. And in order to begin playing on the same field we have to establish what game we're playing you know yeah it's like hey what game are we playing if it's this game we use this field and you know we're we're way at the point where it's like well we're just rugged and in the streets and and we have to fight for everything and it's like when i moved into tabletop and saw a lot of other of like younger and newer uh developers designers mm-hmm. we lean towards things that were more fresh and available and we don't have that concept like struck into the back of our heads that we have to take every job for three cents a word and that there's no other option for where you gotta go and i have to sell my game here and there's no way for me to do this it's not gonna work it's not gonna work me just saying that feels <laughs> like <laughs> vile, like because people beat themselves up in that way still. Mm-hmm. Uh, extremely talented designers I know who are very successful. I'm like, you are so more, much more than that, and you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, I that struggle. It's interesting too, because even within that, even within like indie development, there's definitely different spaces of i would say uh collateral money or professional contacts and so something that was interesting to me was to be actually in dc server and hearing people talk about freelance rates 
and then being in a server for like a professional organization and people talking about freelance rates and the people in the professional organization were their baseline ask was like five times what it was for some of these in some ways I'd say more marginalized or just not as connected to the main powers in the industry people. And that was really stark for me to be like, there are some people who are like, I can't ask for more than three cents. And then there are other people who are like, yeah, I'm never doing this job for less than $3,000. And that was normal. Um, and so I think one thing about pricing, and it's almost mirrors Hollywood in some ways, is I hope that people continue to be even more transparent about what they're paying and what they're asking for. Because I think with that knowledge, I was able to go into negotiations and ask for a rate that I would never have felt confident asking for if I didn't know it was an industry standard. And the people paid it immediately because it's an industry standard, but you have to know what those standards are to have any idea about that. Cass, you are the best. (laughs) Yeah, like it's... In in reference to transparency and like what people are being paid, it's really it's wild to me when I go to a, a Kickstarter page for a tabletop game and I don't see like a breakdown of how money is being spent. Yes, that's it's it's boggling because there's just when you pass your goal, then it's just like oh stretch goals, but where does that money go? And where did your goal money go? Mm-hmm. And what would y'all suggest? people make sure they do if they were to do a kickstarter how would you suggest they are transparent about how their money is spent i have big feels on this one please let me know (laughs) kickstarter culture ramped up really quickly and people didn't really get a chance to settle themselves Mm. because when kickstarter became known to the people it was through all of these kickstarters where it's like someone had this idea or this game looks super cool and then it just shoots past the stretch goal and then another game or a video or some product pop- pops up and it just shoots past the stretch goal and everyone was just like, oh, well, I guess I have to give them more stuff and like started throwing that out and that established the culture of the market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't defined by, oh, well, here's a breakdown of how we're going to do this or how we're going to do that for the most part. Because we had a bunch of different industries all just using a particular platform. So the platform culture does not work for every single different industry. Mm -hmm. Establishing what works for your industry deconstructs the actual wants and needs of the people around you, of your community, of the people you're working with. So establishing at first, like if I saw Kickstarter, I've talked to a couple other people about this and they're like, yeah, totally. if I saw a Kickstarter that was like, hey, this is our game, this is the stuff that we're doing, etc. Here's the artists that we're working with. Um, we're paying them this much, and they're working on these many illustrations. And when we hit this particular stretch goal that might in the main thing say like, oh, you know, $25,000, um, this particular stretch goal, this person's pay goes up by this much percent or this much specifically. if the base pay for all of your writers is 10 cents per word. And at stretch goal 50,000, it goes up to 20. People see these individual things as long as, you know, as, as along with 
the uh, possible contents and thing like that. And can give more value to a myriad of things rather than going, oh, well, there's just large heaps of money disappearing. Right. The black box of money. Where does it go? Mm-hmm. It, it's so... When I went to Kickstarter, like that was the first thing I know is like, why doesn't anybody list where the money goes? Because after the last stretch goal, like it's just whamst. <laughs> what have you done with the money? Yeah. And people don't explain that. And so for interstitial, there was a Kickstarter goal from between 6,000 through 9,500 was like, all that money is bonuses for every contractor on it. Like, and that's like better. That I enjoy doing that because like, <sighs> So many, there are so many times that when you find out later, it's like, oh, well, this person was just kind of offering, like, a, working as a friend on this, and they got paid very little. It's like, that sucks. That's mm-hmm. bad. Like, pay your friends still? Like, what? And I think that represents a shift in indie game design culture. Um, I think, and John Harper's talked some about this with how his Kickstarter went, and, um, it was normal for friends just to always be working on each other's projects. And they didn't do it for quote-unquote exposure. They did it for, you're my friend, I'm supporting you. Um, and I think there's a shift sort of from that now to, I think, something that I'm happy about, which is just like you said, pay your friends. And I've heard a lot of backers be like, I'd rather you're paying them both because, hey, it's good to pay them, but then maybe they'll feel more responsibility to get their work in on time. Um, and it makes it that more clearly defined sort of business and expectations and your, what you're getting out of funding this product. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I find that's really important to establish and why I think higher pricing and clarity is important is, and thank you, Killer Mike on this, keeping your dollars inside of the community because there's so much disparity going on between designers and and a lot of fans being able to raise raise more money that goes towards these people these individuals not mm-hmm. only helps to start a standard which spreads across for everybody else as it continues but uh that transparency and that availability means that other people who are fans or they're they're starting out things like that uh feel more comfortable with where their money is going because it's super precious to them uh, they know that their money's going directly to these writers, these people that they're big fans of. And if they work in the industry, they won't have this fear of being like, oh, well, I have to go through this poor struggle that everyone else is going through and I can't handle that. Or I don't, I don't know if I could face these particular hurdles. And that is sort of like this potential healing that we have mm-hmm. that a lot of people are starting to put out there. It's like, hey, you're, you're actually valuable. In your work, and twenty dollars in the rest of the world is not that much money. I know that feels weird to hear, but it's right. not that much money. You can you can ask for that. It is okay. Yeah, and I think that I have two thoughts with that. One I'll make very brief, which goes to the twenty dollars. Um, I have a lot of friends who are not into tabletop gaming, but have started to become interested since I've been working in it. Without fail, they're like, what's the list of products I should buy? And I'll tell them this and how much. And they're like, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. And then they just go buy them because they're coming as that idea of like, this is a product. I'm going to get it. I'm going to play it. I'm just going to use it. 
And so I think sometimes in the design space, in the indie space, we can get a little too insular and not get that outside perspective of like, as we communicate what our games are and people get interested, they'll come buy them because that's how it works in our economy. You want something, you pay money for it. <laughs> um, and I think going to your part, DC, about sort of being able to support people in our computer, our community and give them value that's such an important part of access. I remember I was listening to advice from a number of designers who I'm not going to say their name, but they were, you know, pretty middle class, upper middle class white men. And I remember reading their advice and being like, that'd be really nice if I weren't working 80 hours a week. Like, <laughs> you know, so like there's this access that's created by that idea that you should be able to do this without getting any money for a decade. And it's like, well, not all of us have those resources, and that's where we get a lot of that gatekeeping that comes into it. Big time. I have stories of, of the same, just to throw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the idea of just work for free until you're not anymore is the most <laughs> fucked shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Yeah, it's... I actually want to just point out real quick that um, while having this conversation, we've had many, many times in our Discord server, um, someone pointed out, and we kind of got into, that if you start out at pay what you want, and you're throwing out not just pay what you want as like your alpha products or you know teasers and stuff like that, but you're going, well, I'm just going to put all my products out as pay what you want until I'm more skilled or something like that, right? then your established value has no number, really. It's not mm -hmm. even really zero. Mm -hmm. it's, it's insert random number. And then once you start charging, you will probably pass that number <laughs> really quickly. Because a lot of people did choose zero. Mm -hmm. So people's expectations are, oh, well... Why are you going here? Why are you going there? As you continue to climb up, you've said that this, the, the value is really low, and now I'm trying to bring it up, and people will be curious as to why. Whereas if you start at a proper value, and you keep it there, and, and move up a little bit, you know, as time goes on, it's much more sensical, and you don't have to face that every time you're trying to... Trying to reach a rate that is actually reasonable. Just start at something reasonable. Yeah, and I think that goes to... Um, I think there needs to be spaces in any game development where you release your products and it's not on, like, a formal publishing platform. You know, if you're... Because this is true in, like, when you make art and when you make novels. You know, you have your... I'm learning how to do this versions on your website or a fan site or a friend site or a forum. And I think that's important that in this discussion about price and getting paid, there also need to be spaces for, I'm not at the point where maybe I should be asking for money for these games or not comfortably. So we need to still have, it makes me sad that Google Plus is going away is part of what I'm saying maybe. Um, <laughs> but having these communities where people can create an experiment and it not be about the business of games, because I think... There's a there's a move from I'm making games and learning to I'm doing games as a business. And that just brings in a lot of different factors that you might not need to be looking at when you're first figuring out how to game design. Yeah. 
Man, I, I wish I could have known what Google Plus was like with tabletop developers because I was always told that like that's where everyone is, but I've just never got to Google Plus. I've always been on Discord. <laughs> And it's just like that's it sounds like a magical land. <laughs> it's it, it sounds fun. like absolutely like just like a special like collection of people almost. But that's um, just me looking at it from outside, you know? I was gonna say there's there's shitty people on Google Plus too. So, you know, the internet <laughs> stays consistent in that way. I've seen threads. <laughs> I'm really trying to get Itchio to have Yes. their own forums going on on that mm -hmm. platform because their forum system is very clean mm -hmm. works really well and that's the sort of thing that we could benefit from in the big way yeah. um, Leaf who's the, the CEO of Itch.io uh, has been taking in questions and has been really listening to people in the community both through threads and through Twitter and so I'm hoping that this this stuff ends up working out so that we can make that shift and open it up to more people who aren't, you know, not familiar with Discord or comfortable mm -hmm. with these different forms of communication we've been using. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as we're coming up on an hour, I usually ask people to like summarize what we've talked about, but y'all have been really concise and we've covered so much that like, I think it's just there. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's needed to summarize. Y'all are just like, very concise on it. So if, unless y'all have any other thoughts you want to get at, I'm down to just ask where people can find you on the internet. Start with Cass. And where can people buy your games? Oh, yes. Um, so you can find me at Cass K Designs, C-A-S-S-K Designs on Twitter or at CassKDesigns.com or uh, my itch, my itchio. Uh, I'm so glad DC also says it that way. Is uh, is there wait is there another way to say it? I think it's dot io, but ugh. it's not as clean. Yeah, hmm. um, is also Cascade Designs. But if you go to my Twitter, it links to everything, and you can see I have a range of that free draft game I just released, all the way up to a fully released game about being pirates and becoming wealthy, so you can control the world. Oh hell yeah! Sick. That sounds rad. <laughs> Um, DC. Yeah, I'm DC. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dungeon Commander with no Ian Commander. Uh, it is the same at dungeoncommander.itch.io and uh, patreon.com slash dungeon commander. Uh, if you follow <laughs> me on Twitter, you'll be able to see all of the things that I'm doing and working on. Try and be very transparent about all the things going on. I have some community projects I'm very excited for. And uh, yeah, go follow Cass. <laughs> awesome and uh listener if you want to follow me on the internet i'm on twitter at rev rybread rev like reverend rybread like rybread you can buy my games at linksmithgames.com um and uh if you like this show and this network you can check out patreon.com slash the orange groves they're a great great like service that has helped us get music get our uh like our art just helps us pay for guests they're wonderful over there and are really helping us exist um that's right so check them out um i think that's it i think i think we're i think i'm good <laughs> um listener until next time may your games be good <laughs> that's it that's all i got thank y'all so much for coming on like this is rad yeah this is very much love. yeah thank you for inviting me
RPG Design Friends is part of the Orange Groves Podcast Network. You can check out other shows on the network at theorangegroves.com and support the network at patreon.com slash theorangegroves. Our themed music is Wells Branch Park Pre-Dawn by Brother Android. Listen to more of their work at brotherandroid.com. The show is produced by Joe at Ghost of Joe on Twitter and edited by Jeff Stormer at Party of One Pod. You can find me on Twitter at RevRyeRed, and you can tweet about the show using hashtag RPGDF. Welcome to 294 Note Streak, the best idea for a podcast of all time. We use a bracket to rank every song that's ever been in a Guitar Hero game. That's pretty much it. That's the whole idea. My name's Joe. I'm Riley. We do that thing we just said every mm, two weeks? We rank it on how much we like the song and if it makes a fun chart to play. Is 294 an equally divisible number for a bracket? It's not! (laughs) Is Thunder Kiss 65 the best white zombie song? Can anything topple Hangar 18 in this race to the top? Will Pat Benatar's Heartbreaker defeat Michael Jackson's Beat It? Yes. <laughs> yeah, spoiler. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Should Fat Lip be in Guitar Hero? <laughs> Find out by listening to 294 Note Streak on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or a better app. And remember, enjoy music. <laughs>